Friends, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you're welcome to take one of the Bibles on the shelves at the main doors as you leave. Um, If you're new here, maybe just haven't been with us for a little while, we've been in the Gospel of Luke for the last several months, considering the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapters 4 through 8. Well, today we're going to back up and look at the prequel to the ministry of Jesus, you might say, uh, the story of his birth. Now, we will read much more of the story tonight. Uh, And so this morning, I want to focus on Jesus' birth announcement and the song of Mary in response. This is actually one of the very unique features of the Gospel of Luke, of his account of Jesus' birth. Luke includes four songs in his telling of the birth of Jesus. Uh, The whole thing in Luke is sort of a Christmas musical. Uh, There's a little narrative explanation of something that's happened and then someone bursts out in song. Uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, sings a song when the angel comes to him and tells him that a savior is coming. Uh, The angels uh, appear to the shepherds out in the field and when they do, they sing a song announcing his arrival. And when uh, the baby Jesus is just a few days old and Joseph and Mary bring him to the temple, Simeon, upon seeing him, breaks out in song. But the very first song in this list of songs is the song of Mary. And uh, I think it's my personal favorite. The first line of this song says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And the Latin word for magnifies is magnificat. And so this song has been long known for centuries as Mary's Magnificat. Uh, So I'll read the part of the story that leads up to it, and then I'll read the song itself uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Well, let me take just a moment and set the scene here a bit. Uh, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, she's likely a teenager. Now, we can deduce that because she's old enough to conceive a child, but not yet old enough to marry the man she's betrothed to. Betrothal was a common practice for pairing people up for marriage in that culture. This means the families had arranged it and were simply waiting for Joseph and Mary uh, perhaps to come of age or to work out some practical details that would have been necessary for establishing a home together. All we're told about the man she was betrothed to is that his name was Joseph and that he is a descendant of King David. Now, the scarcity of information that Luke provides is meant to emphasize the piece of information that he does provide, that Joseph is in David's line. So though Jesus would not be a biological descendant of Joseph, he would be considered part of Joseph's family line. And so in this way, he would fulfill God's promise to put a king on David's throne who would reign forever. Now, we're told only a little more about Mary. Luke says three times that she was a virgin, which in the language of the day means she is a young woman, not married, and therefore in that day not having had relations that could lead to pregnancy. And Mary, upon hearing this news from Gabriel, has only one, questionable, uh, one question for him, and it's a very reasonable one. How is this going to happen? Now, he responds to her that her conception will be a miracle. She will conceive not through any sort of natural means, but the Holy Spirit will simply cause her to be with child. Now, we know this story quite well, and so it can easily pass by us, but this is a huge deal. There are all kinds of miraculous conceptions in the Bible. Uh, from Abraham and Sarah all the way to Elizabeth and Zechariah right here in Luke 1. 
But in all of those cases, God causes couples who had been unable to conceive to be able to conceive in the natural course of human relations. Mary's conception of Jesus will be unlike any other in biblical history or in the history of any other religion. The conception itself will be entirely supernatural. This means that the child she bears, Gabriel says, will be truly God. He will be called the Holy One, fully man, fully God, and not in any way tied to the sin of fallen human beings. The other thing we're told about Mary is that she had found favor with God. Now, we aren't given the specific reasons why, but her response to all this, I think, is a good indication of the kind of person she was. Verse 38 says, and Mary said in response to all these things, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, that response alone, I think, tells us that Mary was a young woman who trusted God and obeyed him. Now, we Protestants get nervous talking about Mary like this, but we shouldn't let Catholics making too much of Mary cause us to make too little of her. She was a remarkable young woman of God who not only bore Jesus and raised Jesus, but followed him until the day he died. The other thing the angel tells Mary is that her much older cousin Elizabeth, who had not been able to conceive, will have a baby too. And Elizabeth's baby will prepare the way for hers. And so upon hearing that her family member is pregnant too and that she's somehow tied into all this stuff that God seems to be doing, uh, Mary immediately takes off from Nazareth and makes what is likely a a 100-mile journey from Nazareth to Judah. And as soon as she gets there, the moment she hits the threshold of Elizabeth's home, the Holy Spirit confirms what they had both been told, that Mary's son will be the Savior. Elizabeth's baby starts doing backflips in the womb. Uh, Elizabeth begins to prophesy And Mary breaks out in song. Now, how remarkable that in an ancient culture dominated by rich and powerful men, God brings about the apex of his redemption through two relatively poor pregnant women. Elizabeth had spent her entire adult life wrestling with the reality of her barrenness. Now, she had another young woman at her door announcing her pregnancy. But this time, Elizabeth could enter into that joy without even a tinge of sorrow because God had given her a child as well. And then Mary breaks into her song of praise. Verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
Now, magnify is a word that we typically only use in places like science lab. So let's stop for a minute and think about what she means when she says, magnify the Lord. To magnify God means to make great. Now, if that seems a little odd to you at first, you're actually on to something. Uh, Because God is already great. He doesn't need our help becoming so. There's nothing you and I could do to make him more or less great than he already is. When we talk about magnifying God, we're not talking about his substance. We're talking about our perception. It's like looking at a planet in a telescope. You're taking something that is gigantic in reality, in substance, but small from your perspective, and making your perspective of it increase to more closely match the reality. When we praise God, we are not making him greater. We are enlarging our perspective of him to more closely match his reality. Now, when we gather here and sing, we are recognizing this Christmas Eve the greatness and glory of God in a way that adjusts our perspective of him, that allows us to more fully reflect on the reality of his glory. And when we do that, the same thing happens in the hearts of all of God's people that happened to Mary that day. We rejoice. It's a season of magnifying Christ, taking time to consider the incarnation of the Son of God so that that magnificent truth becomes greater in our perception. Now Mary gushes with praise in this moment for a number of reasons, but they're tied together by a particular theme. She is overcome in this moment with a deep personal awareness of God's mercy. Mercy to her, mercy to Elizabeth, and mercy to all of God's people. In verses 46 through 49, she praises God for his sovereign mercy. Sovereign means above all or superior to all others, supreme in power and rank and authority. First thing she recognizes about the mercy she's been shown is that it comes from one who is supremely powerful. Verse 49, she says, he who is mighty has done great things for me. Not one who has might, not one of the ones who are mighty, but as one translation says, the mighty one has done great things for me. God is completely other than his creation. He is distinct from and set apart from all that he's made. And he is robed in immense power. The psalmist says in Psalm 145, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. So what moves Mary's soul so deeply is that the sovereign, all-powerful, mighty God who rules and reigns over all things has 
looked on the estate of his humble servant. She is in awe of the fact that the transcendent one has come near. That the sovereign ruler of all the universe has worked in power on behalf of a poor teenage girl. Now, if Christ was only a man and not the sovereign ruler of the universe, no doubt he would be able to sympathize with us, but he would not have the power to save us. If Christ was only God, he would certainly have had the power to save us, but not to be able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Because Jesus is both God and man, he can both know us and save us. And Mary is in awe of this reality. Christian, let me ask you, when you stop to remember the work of God in your life, are you remembering not also his empathy, but also his power? The more you recognize God's sovereign power, the more you'll actually trust in his mercy. The more you recognize that he is actually powerful to save, the more confident you'll be that he'll actually do it according to his mercy. Think of it like this. If you're sick, which I know for many of us, that's not too far from our imaginations. If you are sick, you may have a a friend who could help you in various ways. They might bring you a meal. They might offer to, to come and help you get to the doctor's office. Helpful, no doubt. But if you are poor and sick and a physician is merciful to you, they can actually treat your illness. The greater the abilities of the one who is merciful, the greater the impact of the one who shows mercy. Many of us go through periods of great anxiety. And for some of us, that can spike Actually, at the time of year when everybody says we ought to all be so happy. I can remember a season when I was wrestling in just that kind of way. And I had memorized every verse about peace that had ever been plastered on the side of a Christian coffee mug. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you. Uh, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Wonderful scriptures that remind us of the role of peace in our hearts. But what ultimately melted my fear was a season of prolonged reflection on the might and power of God. Because I didn't just need to tell myself to trust God, I needed to know more deeply in my soul that God is trustworthy. So I started getting up every morning and praying through Psalms like Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. You don't find that on many Christian coffee mugs. But it goes on. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. 
If you're fearful today, it's good to know that the one who holds you in the palm of his hand is strong. He is mighty to save. Our God is not empathetic, but impotent. He is mighty to save. And so when Mary becomes aware of the nearness of God, she praises him for his might as she becomes more aware of it as it comes near. Next, she praises God for a, a reversal of sorts, a particular kind of mercy that is expressed in a kind of subversiveness of God. So I'll call it, she praises God for his subversive mercy. Now those are two words you don't often find side by side uh, in a sentence. But what it means is that Mary praises God for the fact that he has undermined the cultural status quo. She says in verse 51, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. Now, some revolutionary movements have used passages like this to defend their attempts at political upheaval. But this is not about human political power. It's about the power of God. He lowers the proud. He lifts the humble. Mary is praising God for the experience of something that two other writers in the New Testament also testify to. When they say God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mary is experiencing that mercy. The mercy of God can be accessed at any time by anyone. But it can only be received by people who humble themselves. First John says, if you say you have no sin... You deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. The psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So Mary sings, his mercy is there, but it's for those who fear him from generation to generation. For some, perhaps many, pride is rooted particularly in wealth. And so Mary sings, he sends the rich away empty. Now listen, that doesn't mean that he necessarily sends them away with empty pockets. In some cases, right here in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen in recent months, he sends the rich away with full pockets, but empty hearts. News stories are all over the place, and they tend to surface this time of year with uh, enormously rich, famous, successful people, uh, champion athletes, musical icons, actors, politicians, all saying the same thing. I have reached the pinnacle of my field, and it's not all it was cracked up to be. They are testifying to what Mary is testifying to in this song. If you don't believe me, when you get home, just Google lottery winners and see how it turns out for those people. The issue isn't whether you have power or money. 
That in and of itself is not wrong and in fact can be given by God and stewarded effectively for the purposes of his kingdom. The issue is whether you trust in power or money. Money and power can be great tools. They are terrible gods. And the one true God knows it. So in his subversive mercy, he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jesus himself said, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When you get that and experience it in your life, you can see why Mary praises God for it, can't you? When you can see that we praise God that he didn't allow you and I and didn't allow those in Mary's day to go on in our delusion that someday you and I could be saved and satisfied by our stuff. Isn't it the submersive mercy, subversive mercy of God to free us of that delusion? There was a time when everyone in this room was living in that delusion. That there was something else, some material thing that could satisfy. Aren't you grateful that God humbled you? Aren't you grateful that God freed you? Now you can say with joy rather than fear, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary praises God for his sovereign mercy, for his subversive mercy, and finally she praises God for his steadfast mercy. In verse 54, she sings, he has helped his servant in Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So centuries before this moment, God came to Abraham and made him a promise. That even though Abraham had been a wanderer and had never been able to have children, God would make him the father of a great nation with his own land. And that through him, the nations of the world would be blessed and that this kingdom would never end. And from that point forward, God slowly but surely fulfills that promise. First, as Mary remembers, through the miraculous birth of Abraham's son. Eventually, a nation does come from Abraham. And they do find their way to the promised land. But through their own disobedience, the people reject God and forfeit his grace. Which leaves them in the dark place of oppression and doubt. Now, God is entering into that darkness reaffirming his commitment to his promise through another miraculous birth. A child who will bring an even greater fulfillment of the promise than they'd ever experienced before. Because through him, not only Israel, but all the nations will be blessed. Mary is praising God for the fact that his mercy has staying power. That he hasn't forgotten it, that he hasn't forsaken it. She's remembering that Advent begins, Christmas begins in the darkness. 
But the joy of this season is that into that darkness, light has come. A word from God that he will remember his mercy and act in power for his people through this son. The same steadfast mercy through had, that had persisted through all the ups and downs over the centuries of Israel's history. Mary is recalling now, will continue to persist into the future and persists in our hearts and lives, persists into the ups and downs that you and I go through because Christ has come and he will come again. But in the meantime, as Lamentations 3 tells us, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Mary recognizes this and sings this song by faith. Think about this. As she praises God for these things, no baby has been born yet. What she's got is a promise from an angel and confirmation from her cousin. But in the darkness of uncertainty, she trusts in the mercy of God. And she sings praise. Friends, many of us find ourselves this morning in the darkness of uncertainty for all kinds of different reasons. And there are all kinds of things that we can go grasping for to find a sense of reprieve find a sense of stability in a time like that. I think Mary gives us a profound example of what exactly we ought to be reaching for and standing on in the midst of our own uncertainty. It is the steadfast, never failing, never ending mercy of God. And it's proven for us once for all in the person and work of Jesus. And it drives not only peace, but joy. One theologian puts it like this. He says, till God has been recognized as a savior, the minds of men are not free to indulge in true and full joy, but will remain in doubt and anxiety. It is God's fatherly kindness alone and the salvation flowing from it that fill the soul with joy. In a word, the first thing for believers is to be able to rejoice that they have their, their salvation in God. When Mary comes to grips with Christmas, you might say, uh, with the fact that God was made man and is dwelling among his people, her response is to thank him for his mercy. So I think it's good for us to stop and ask, what is Christmas doing in our hearts? What's it doing in your hearts this year? pray that you and I will take a moment in the midst of all the festivities and the busyness and the traditions to see how merciful God has been to you. First and foremost in sending his son, but then in a myriad of ways, he upholds us and sustains us. Friends, let's do something really radical right now. It's radical in our culture. It's radical this month. Let's be quiet for one minute. <laughs> And let's take 60 seconds to reflect on, for you to reflect on, the mercy of Jesus Christ in your life. And then I'll take a moment to pray.
Father, we thank you for responding to our humble estate with mercy, for responding to our sin with redemption, for responding to our sorrow with comfort. God, when we should have been cast out, you came near. When we should have been punished, you paid our price. When we ran from you, you came for us. Father, I pray this Christmas season, open the eyes of our hearts to see your great mercy lying in the manger. In his mighty name we pray.